Well, good morning, everyone. What a fun morning. We get to hear from one of our uh, student ministry volunteers. We get to have some of our student uh, worship team join us in our service to lead us in worship. And uh, Ashley is always a bundle of joy and energy and invited all of us to consider how we might be involved in a in the impacting the life of a student. So we've had a great morning so far, and I want to continue our theme and talk to you a little bit about what's on my heart. Everybody doing all right? Everyone have a seat? We got a full house here this morning. And um, just hang in there. We're going to tell you a little bit more about our plans for a second service. So I'm going to talk about that at the end. Are you guys ready? Because we're going to have to go really, really fast here this morning. We've got a lot to talk about. So I want you to imagine me standing at the intersection of I-10 and Wurzbach. You got it? Now, for those of you who might need a frame of reference, uh, Wurzbach exit is immediately following the ginormous USAA complex if you're headed into town from here. It's also the exit where you catch the turn around to come back to Papacitas, which is where you get some really good chips and salsa. And if you ever want to just hang out and talk, I'd be happy to meet you there. <laughs> okay, imagine me at the intersection of I-10 and Wurzbach, and I'm standing in the center of the highway. All eight lanes. But for my personal safety, I'm standing up on the concrete barrier between the eastbound and the westbound lane. You got a picture? Cars and trucks whizzing by, threatening to blow me off the wall, but I'm still standing. You with me? Let me ask you a question. If I turn and face east, can I see Houston from there? You're like, no, that's like three hours away, okay? If I turn and I face west on that wall, can I see El Paso from there? You're like, no, that's like six weeks away. It's like 600 miles. But I can't see Houston if I face east, and I can't see El Paso if I face west. Why? Because there's a lot of twists and turns, rises and falls, buildings and billboards between here and there. Correct? But here's what I know for sure. If I got in a car and I headed east and in about three hours, maybe a little bit longer if I take a minute and stop at Bucky's on the way, if I travel three hours, I'm going to end up in Houston. The same thing if I get in a car and I head west for about six, six and a half, seven hours, I will eventually arrive in El Paso. You all get that? Why? Because that's where the road goes. That's where the road goes. And you may not recognize that, but that is one of the most important principles of life. That's where the road goes. So it's interesting. If you study the Bible, you read a lot about roads and paths, people going on a journey, people on a walk, because it's a metaphor for life. Then on our lives, we go on a journey. We take a walk and we go down certain paths and we follow certain roads and we walk certain streets. And that's the expression of our life. And God's word is full of really, really valuable lessons about the road that we choose to travel and knowing where that road goes. 
So if you understand the principle because that's where the road goes, then you will understand most preachers. Because most preachers, they live in a tension. They live in a tension because a really good preacher will do two things on a regular basis. First of all, a really good preacher or pastor will spend much of their week studying the scriptures, the Bible, the word of God, and trying their very best to understand what is it that God has to say about the life that we live and how to live by faith, trust him in the life that we live. So the first thing a really good preacher will do, will study the Bible to understand what God has to say about life. But he'll also do something else. She'll also do something else. She'll study her times. He'll study the day in which he lives, culture, society, academia, science, medicine, religion, all sorts of topics. He or she will spend a lot of time studying the day and age in which he lives because he has the responsibility of helping a congregation understand the truth of God's word and how they apply to the real life situations and circumstances that we encounter in our culture and our society. Does that make sense? And so here's what happens. When a preacher studies God's word and sees what it has to say and then looks at what's unfolding in his culture, in his society, in his world, naturally he's going to become concerned. He's going to feel a sense of caution. In fact, he's going to feel a sense of urgency because he says in his mind, if what God says is true and I see what's happening in this world that we live in, then there's a lot to be very alarmed about because if what God says is true unfolds the way that it looks like it's being um, occurring in our society, then he looks at his congregation and he feels a tremendous amount of concern because of where the road goes. You see, a good preacher in some ways serves as a prophet. Now, not a prophet like we see in the Old Testament, but a prophet who sort of warns his people about what it is, about where the road goes. It's interesting, if you study the Old Testament prophet, he wasn't really a predictor of the future. The biggest role of the Old Testament prophet was to remind the nation of Israel about what God had revealed in the law, particularly the book of Deuteronomy. So much of what we see written in the Old Testament is really just a prophet saying, remember the covenant, remember what God has instructed. And so a contemporary pastor like myself at times we'll feel a sense of urgency to call a group of people to something that they need to be very aware of because what he's seeing is in fact alarming. And today, as we conclude this series, Pay It Forward, I wanna to talk to you a little bit about what's on my heart regarding the urgency of what I'm seeing happening in our society, in our culture, in response to what I read in God's word, particularly as it relates to our children and our teenagers and our young adults. 
So for four weeks now, we've been talking about a church's responsibility to steward well the lives of the young people that's entrusted to their care. And one of the passages of scripture that's been so instrumental in our sense of responsibility is this passage from the book of Psalm uh, chapter 78. And the writer says this, my people, hear what I have to say, hear my teaching. Listen to what is coming out of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable or a story that has a truth. I will utter hidden things from old, things that we have heard and known. And how did they get to hear and know them? Things that our ancestors have told us, some older people invested in the younger people behind them. We will not hide them from their descendants. In fact, we will tell the next generation it's true of communities of faith. They tell the next generation of the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders of what he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and he established law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach to their children so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born the generations to come that haven't even been born yet, that even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. This theme runs all through the Bible of older generations, people of faith, helping the younger generation understand the nature of God's work in their life. And so we've been looking at this principle for four weeks now. In a community of faith, God gave adults the responsibility to pass on their faith to children. Not just their children, but any and all children that are a part of the community with which they've been entrusted the responsibility. And then, while this is primarily the responsibility of parents, it's not solely a parent's responsibility. The community of faith sees all children, all teens, all young adults as part of the legacy they leave for the future of the gospel and its witness in our world, the church of tomorrow. Now those young people, they're a part of the church today. They are the church of today. But at some point we have to embrace the fact that we're going to turn leadership over to them. And we have to ask the question, Will they be prepared to carry on the work of God through the local church? We take that very seriously here at Cibolo Creek. And we've spent the month of talking about our responsibility to that. Now today, I want to take you to a final passage of scripture that has an enormous amount of urgency to it. And it is exactly about what we're talking about. A generation of older, more experienced people passing on their faith to a younger generation. The passage is found in the book of Proverbs, which is like my favorite book in the Bible. Because as long as I can remember, I've always been, I've always been curious about wisdom. I've wanted to be a wise person. The book of Proverbs was written for that purpose. First two chapters declares very openly that the book of Proverbs was written so that somebody could be wise. So I spend a lot of time trafficking in the book of Proverbs. And I want to read a passage to you. But before I do, let me give you a little bit of a context, a little bit of a background. You guys game? 
Okay, a couple of things. The book of Proverbs falls into what's called wisdom literature. And wisdom literature as a genre by nature is poetic. Not poetic in that all the words rhyme. It's poetic in that it uses a lot of figures of speech, metaphor and simile and uh, personification where inanimate objects are portrayed as characters that can live and breathe and talk or hyperbole. You see a lot of hyperbole in wisdom literature, meaning it, it goes to the extreme to help emphasize the urgency of a point. Now, we use her hyperbole. Mom says to the kid, get down off that counter, you're gonna break your neck. Well, that's probably not what's gonna happen, but it's possible, probably not probable, it's possible they could fall down, maybe break an elbow, maybe sprain an ankle, but probably won't break their neck, but that is a possibility and the mom is using hyperbole as just a way to exaggerate. This is what could happen, I'm concerned for you, please get down. Does that make sense? All right, the second thing about proverbial literature, meaning it uses, um, uses a lot of poetry, um, it will use an illustration, it'll tell a story about one particular topic, but it's not only about that topic. It will apply to a number of other different topics. And so the wise person reads the book of Proverbs and reads a story that's on a particular subject and goes, oh, wait a second. What I learned from that story, well, that's not only true in that case, it's also true in these other cases, which I'll illustrate for you here in just a moment. You still with me? Okay, a third thing about wisdom literature. This is really important, particularly for you guys, students. There's two ways to be wise. You interested? The first way to be wise is you could make all the mistakes. You could make all the poor choices, suffer the consequences, feel the pain, have to pick up the pieces and hopefully do better the next time. That's one way to be wise, but it's a very painful way. But there's another way to be wise. And that is let other people make all the mistakes. And you watch and you see the pain that their mistakes cause. You see the drama that their poor choices create. You watch them trying to pick up the pieces and how long it takes to sort of put it all back together again. And you stand back and say, I'm not going to do that. A wise person can step back and say, they made the mistakes. I saw the consequences. So I'm not going to go down what? that road, because now I know where that road goes. You still with me? All right, so book of Proverbs, first nine chapters, is like a dad sitting down with his young, maybe preteen, early teen son, and he's passing on his experiences of life and the lessons that he's learned. And in today's passage, you ready? We're gonna talk about sex. You're like, okay, now I'm interested. <laughs> what we're going to talk about is sexual immorality. But here's what I want you to understand as I read the passage to you. Yes, it is about sex, but it's not only about sex. The principles that the story illustrates apply to a number of different situations of life. And the wise person is the one who goes, oh, I see how that works here 
Now I understand how it works in other situations of my life. You say, okay, can we get to it already? Okay, get to it. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Proverbs chapter seven. Proverbs chapter seven. And I'm gonna read this passage to you. You can follow along. The words will be here on the screens. We're gonna start at verse six. The writer of the proverb, who we know to be an older gentleman, He writes this, at the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice, lattice, that means he pulled the blinds apart. And he's looking and I saw the simple and I noticed among the young men, there was a particular young man who lacked judgment. Now, let me just stop there. Or he lacked sense. Okay, before everybody gets all worked up. That does not mean that he was stupid. That does not mean that he was dumb. What that means there is that this young man lacked the experience to really understand the road that he was on. He didn't have the maturity yet at this point in his life to navigate where he was headed and where it would take him. He was 13, he couldn't be 33. He was 15, he couldn't be 55. He didn't have enough mileage under his belt to understand, wait, if I go down this road, I'll end up in this place. That's what that means. He lacked judgment or sense. He was going down what? Come on, it's right there. He was going down the street. Remember the road, the path, the journey. He was going down the street near her corner walking along in the direction of her house. It was twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. So that's setting the stage. Then out came a woman to meet him. She was dressed like a prostitute. She wasn't a prostitute. She was dressed like that. And she had crafty intent. And here's a description of this woman. She's loud, she's defiant, her feet never stay at home. And now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. And she took hold of this young man and she kissed him. And with a brazen face she said, I have fellowship offerings at home today, I fulfilled my vows. That's a cultural context, we'll not need to go there today. So I I came out to meet you. She says to the young, I was looking for you. You were just what I was looking for. I looked for you and I found you. I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us drink of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not home. He's gone on a long journey. He took his wallet, his purse, filled with money. He'll not be home till the full moon. So he's been gone for a long time. We're safe. We can get away with this. And here it is. This is the heart of the proverb. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. 
And all at once, he followed her. Now, let me stop there for a second. It wasn't all at once. He's been working this way down the street now for some time. What that implies there is that this happened a whole lot quicker than he even imagined. He found himself in this situation where he couldn't back up so much faster than he ever realized. Why? Because he lacked the experience to know. All at once, he, he followed her like an ox going to slaughter, like deer stepping into a noose till the arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare. Remember hyperbole? Little knowing, listen to this, little knowing that it will cost him his life. Now the Proverbs says this. Now then, my sons, my daughters, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. Did you get the story? I mean, it wasn't that hard, right? The story's full of this. It's a story about dangerous influences in life. It's a story about seductive voices, the appeal of a society that seeks to draw young people in. It's, it's about risky choices, things that are interesting and entertaining and popular. And I'll, I'll sort of go in that direction. I don't know exactly what will unfold, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to step out in the risk. And the proverb is telling us this, that with pervasive, uh, persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her, sm her smooth talk. So here's a principle. It's just one. But it's one that creates a sense of urgency in my life as a pastor. And it's this. Young people today are being inundated with seductive voices from a culture set on drowning out the wisdom of God. And if you disagree with that or don't see that to be that alarming, you're not paying attention. Our young people are absolutely clobbered every day with the voices of a society and a culture, and that is not pointing them in the direction of God. But here's what we as the big people need to understand. It's not a child's fault for having neither the maturity nor the experience to make wise choices. They're only 12. They're only 14. They're only 20. There's a lot of life they haven't lived to understand the implications of the situations they're in. But it is an adult's fault for failing to understand a child's inexperience and in turn failing to help them navigate the challenges of growing up. This is for parents. This is for teachers and coaches. This is for relatives. And this is for a church family. 
It's our responsibility to help our children navigate the very, very delicate world in which they live. That's our responsibility to help guide them through that journey. And here's, here's some of the profound influences that your children are living with every day. Social media or media in general. If no one's ever told you, let me be the first to explain it to you. Advertisers spend billions of dollars every year. Did you hear that? Advertisers spend billions of dollars every year trying to figure out the most effective way to seduce you into buying what they're selling. They use colors, they use font, they use celebrities, they use sounds. They will do anything that they've discovered through extensive study will appeal and draw you into buying what it is that they're selling. And I'll tell you that most young people do not have the maturity or the experience to navigate that because you and I don't have the experience to navigate that. It's especially hard for them. It's assumed that young people have the maturity to make wise choices. That's a really tall order. Not because they're dumb or stupid. It's because they lack the experience and the exposure to know how to navigate what it is that somebody's selling them. Here's another one that students live with every day. Peer pressure. I mean, you remember what it's like to be a teenager. It's a little bit harder for some of you than others, but um, it was a little bit longer ago. But, but you remember wanting to fit in, wanting to be accepted, wanting to be popular, wanting to be liked, and the pressure for you to conform to what everyone else is doing. It's an enormous challenge that our students and our children are facing every day at school, in their neighborhood, in their peer groups. And then here's one that's particularly alarming. Children and students and interpersonal turmoil. The amount of turmoil going on inside of most children and teenagers these days is off the charts. I mean, just think of some of the things that students are living with these days that many of us as older people, we didn't live with to the same degree or the same amount of exposure. Unhappy homes. Custody battles, step families, bullying, the pressure to grow up a lot quicker than they're really prepared to, to perform athletically or scholastically in order to get the scholarship or to get entrance and admittance into the school of their choice. Changing definitions. It's up for grabs today. What is a man and what is a woman? That's changing underneath them. And it's causing enormous amounts of distrust. Who do I listen to and who's telling me the truth? Not to mention political upheaval. And then our students and children today are living with a global awareness because of media and its presence that they're living with pressures from around the world that you and I didn't even know existed. And kids are dealing with a lot of concerns that are overwhelming their capacity to handle it. Does that make sense? That's why it's urgent that they have Older, more experienced people who are helping them guide and navigate them through the life that they're being asked to live. So what are some of the voices out there 
that are telling our children the things that they want them to hear. And I'll tell you, this is just a few. You ready? The seductive voice of sexual pleasure. I mean, if you're honest these days, culture has so cheapened sexual intimacy that it's been reduced to little more than recreational pleasure. Hormones, youthful curiosity alone makes sex a very tempting interest. But unfortunately, they lack the maturity to make wise choices regarding the impact of sharing sex with another person and the long-term consequences of that experience to their health and to their heart. What we fail to understand is what described by the scriptures is that sexual intimacy is a deeply spiritual experience. And when it's enjoyed or experienced outside of the spiritual ramifications, it tears the human soul apart. And people live with those consequences for the rest of their life. Not to mention that young people are reeling from complicated lives of personal insecurities, drama at home, neglect, divorce, abuse, mental health issues, longing to be loved and accepted, that they're willing to resort to sex as just some sort of means to avoid loneliness in life. They're not prepared for it. They don't understand where that road takes them. There's a second voice, the seduction of alcohol and drugs. Most students are dealing with so much inner turmoil that they're looking for ways to cope. They're looking for ways to make it go away for a little while and they'll resort to drugs and alcohol as just a way to feel good for a few moments. It's not always about peer pressure. It's about the pressure they're feeling inside of them. Have you ever noticed something about beer commercials? Did you know it's illegal to show anybody on a commercial actually drinking the beverage? So what do they do? They portray them as having a great time. They're always with handsome and attractive people. They're always laughing. They're always doing adventurous things. Why? Because that's the way that they draw young people in to say, hey, try this because this is the kind of life that it leads to. And it's a lie. There's more. The seduction of fame and fortune. It's interesting how many young people are making career choices these days, not based on what they're passionate about or what they'd love to do, but about what will make the most amount of money. And then you take social media and young people look at these people who are making millions of dollars just being the social presence and they go, that looks like fun. I'll try that. And so they're hanging out on places like Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat with the expectation that I could live my life that way too because of the seductive voice of fame and fortune. Another one, the seduction of popularity and acceptance. I just want to be a part. I want people to like me. I'll do whatever. I'll go down whatever road if it means that my group will accept me and affirm me. Here's one, the seduction of ideology and causes. Young people are suckers for this. 
anything that sounds like social justice. They don't have the wherewithal to really understand, is this a good way of thinking about myself and about others and about my world? Or is it just appeal to me because it looks like it's right? It feels like it's right. And unfortunately, most parents are afraid to get involved in that because they don't want to challenge their young person's beliefs because they don't want the drama. Finally, the seduction of spiritual independence. It's interesting to watch the exodus from conservative, traditional, institutional religion that's happening among young people these days. But you know what? They're not just leaving the church. They're leaving the institutional or conservative church to go after other beliefs. And the rise of atheists and agnostics amongst young people is off the charts. Why? Because they're being beckoned down a road that they don't have the experience or maturity to understand where exactly it's taking them. And folks, listen to me. That's the most intelligent, confident, well-mannered young person. They're not exempt from the dangers of the seductive voices of the world in which we live in because they're full of youthful curiosity. And that's a good thing. But they also lack the maturity to have the ability to know where the road takes them. And this is why it's so important that we be involved. Does this make sense? Okay, so listen, these are two passages of Scripture. And while one of them may sound like hyperbole, an exaggeration, it's not when you stop to think about the dangers waiting at the other end of the road. Look at this, Proverbs 24. Here's the plea to older, wiser people. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. Get in their path and wave them down because where that road goes is dangerous unhealthy, unproductive. James says it this way, my brothers and sisters, this is to the church, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. That's the spirit of pay it forward, is getting in the path of the children that we, we treasure, that we love, waving them down when we see them headed in a direction that this is where the road goes and it's not good, it's not healthy, it won't serve you well. So I'll say it again, like I said last Sunday, you will never make a greater impact on your world or leave a more significant legacy. I don't care how much money you make, how big of a company you build, you will never leave a more significant legacy for generations to come than the investment you make in the life of a young person. And just to put all my cards on the table, which is an interesting reference for a preacher. I'll just be crystal clear. We have a church full of children, teenagers, and young adults who could benefit from the kind and supportive influence of adults of all ages in their life.
I'm inviting you to get involved. And because this is not my first rodeo, and I've been at this a while, I know some of the objections. So let's tick off of them, a couple of those here real quick. Ready? You say things like, I, I wouldn't know what to do. I have never worked with kids before. I've never worked with students before. I got good news for you. One, we provide training. You will be given the opportunity for shadowing, for going alongside some other people who already do this. And we always work in teams when we're talking about children or student ministry. So you'll not be doing this alone. You'll be doing this with some other people. Make sense? You say, I don't really like being up in front of an audience. Guess what? We don't really like people who don't like being up in front of an audience being up in front of an audience. Because it's not good for them and it's not good for the audience. So here's my answer. We have lots of opportunities to help in supporting roles and in smaller groups. I mean, the heartbeat of our children, our student ministry is small groups that you would only have maybe five or six or seven students that you'd be pouring into rather than a hundred students. I wouldn't know how to answer their questions about the Bible or God or faith. I'm so new to this. I have a wonderful lesson for you. This is true in any circumstance. Adults learn on a need to know basis. When they ask you a question, you're gonna suddenly find a lot of motivation to figure out the answer to that question. In fact, I've got the perfect answer for anybody who doesn't know the answer to that a student or a, children, a child asks them. That's a great question. I have questions about that too. Let's see if we can find an answer. That's mentoring. That's how that works. How about this one? I've got a long history of mistakes, poor choices, and regrets in my past. So what you're telling me is you've been there, done that. And been there, done that makes you a mentor. I was in the third grade when I was first introduced to pornography. What was that, like nine or 10 years old? I did not have the maturity to know how to navigate my way through what I had just discovered. And pornography complicated my life for many years to come. And it wasn't until I was in my late 20s and I was taking a psychology course in, mass, in my master's program. And I started to hear about this thing called coping and what drives it and how coping often leads to compulsive behaviors, which are just the gateway to an addiction. And when Vi finally started to learn the dynamics of coping and compulsive behaviors, then suddenly I was able to help myself, but not only help myself, I was now in a position to help other people. And God has blessed me and my experience with the road traveled and pornography to help hundreds of other young men and older men with this particular dilemma of their life. Some of you, you've been there, done that in a host of situations and God would love to redeem the story of your mistakes to have an impact in the next generation. I'm not spiritually mature enough to pass on my faith to somebody else. Well, welcome to the club. Neither were any of the disciples Jesus chose to change the world. <laughs> Here's one. This is legitimate. We hear this all the time. I don't want to miss out on Sunday services if I serve as a volunteer. 
Okay, here's the good news. We always work in rotating teams. You don't do it every week. You will rotate with other teams so that you can come in here into the service. And we're getting ready to open a second service, which I'll tell you about here in a minute. I'm not really good with children or students. Are you good with adults? Because we might need your help to train and to coach some other people who will be serving students and children. You could help us with recruiting. You could help us with planning events and you're just working with adults. And then we get to the last one. And if you're honest, which is what we need, you say, Paul, I don't even like kids. <laughs> and if that's you, we don't want you anywhere near our kids. Because <laughs> our kids are awesome and they're cool and they got so much great going for them. We don't want you to spoil all that. <laughs> but that doesn't let you off the hook. Because I'm going to ask you this question. Well, where else will you pitch in and help in the life of our church? Because we need the help. We need all hands on deck. If you think of this as your church and you attend here regularly, there is a host of opportunities where you need to help us do the church that God has called us to be. Does that make sense? So we come to this idea of going to two services. I mean, just look at this room. And you think this is crowded? You should go back to our children's ministry right now. So our target is October the 2nd. You're thinking, how are we going to go another month? Yeah, let me tell you why. Hopefully we're going to have two services at 9.30 and at 11. Do you have any idea of how much it takes just by volunteers to host one service. Well, now we're gonna talk about two services? I hope you're not shocked when I tell you that after surveying my staff and asking their input, they're telling me we need an additional, an additional 155 new volunteers with the hopes of providing a second service that works for everybody the participants, and the volunteers. I'm on my knees these days asking God to provide 155 people. Guess where they're going to come from? They're going to come from our church family. I'm confident that he's promised to provide our needs. It's up to me to try to create a compelling urgency enough for people to make the choice to do so. We need a lot of help. If we're going to host two services, and I'm asking you, would you please consider being a part of what it takes to offer Cibolo Creek Community Church to our congregation and to our community? We're talking these days about serve one, worship one. If we have two services, you can serve as a volunteer in one, and then you can come into the service and participate in the expression of worship that we enjoy here, and nobody has to miss out. So I'll leave you with this. Action. If you'll take out your copy of the creek that you uh, were handed this morning. We're just asking you for some help. Okay, don't get scared. Okay, just first, first item of business. On the back of your copy of the creek, you'll find a QR code. Take a picture of that with your phone. 
It'll take you to a brief survey. And the survey is asking, between the 9.30 and 11 o'clock options, which one would you most likely to attend? And how many people will you be bringing with you? That helps us understand how we might distribute our limited resources of volunteers. So just let us know. What service do you think you'll likely attend between the two? Also on your front copy of the creek, you'll find a reference to what's called ServeHub. Now maybe you're a digitally you know, uh, capable person, you use your phone and your computer and that's completely normal and comfortable for you. Well then I'm inviting you to go to ServeHub, there's a link on our, on our uh, website, and find out all you need to know about places to serve, what it takes to do that, what the time commitment is, what the different abilities or talents you might need in order to do that. Would you help us out by letting us know of your interest in serving? You say, yeah, I, 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 don't, I, don't do, um, I don't do digital. Okay, I get that. So we've made it real easy for you. On the back of your creek, there's a card. You can indicate what service you're in, likely to attend and maybe where you might be interested in serving. Just check one of those boxes and somebody will get in touch with you. You can also stop out at Information Central following the service. There'll be people there who'd be happy to answer your questions. Or you can stop at the lobby out in the center of the lobby. We have a table that's uh, representatives from both our children and student ministry there who ask, answer questions and explain anything that you might want to know about. Does that make sense? I know that's a lot. But I can't be honest with you if I don't ask. We want to have a great church that serves you and your family well. It takes a lot of people to do that. I'm inviting that every one of you who think of Sybil Creek as your church home, you tend here regularly, please roll up your sleeves, step into this with us and help make it happen. Why? Because we have nearly 350 children, students, and young people who need a community, a village to love them enough to walk down that road of life with them and help them make really great choices so they end up on a path that ends up in a good place. Make sense? Thanks for listening. Let me ask you to stand together. Let me pray for you. God, some of this, this is all your territory. I, I can't work in people's hearts and minds. I can do my best to sort of, sort of call them to action and create some sense of concern and urgency and hopefully, Father, in no way that's manipulative or shaming, but just to make people aware. And then God, I and the leaders of this church, we are completely completely dependent upon you right now to be at work in people's hearts and lives. God, I pray that Sybil Creek Community Church will leave an outstanding legacy for years and years to come because we took it as a responsibility and a priority to invest well into the lives of our young people so that they might carry on the rich and noble historic traditions and beliefs of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I pray and ask this in Christ's name, amen.